0: Hello and welcome back to Startup Equity Matters, the podcast that helps early stage founders and their teams easily handle their equity like pros. Uh, Last week, we spoke with Stuart Cook about exits and the power that exits can create. Uh, This week, we're talking to Cake's very own Alex Kozovsky about global equity, specifically global employee equity. It takes many forms and every country is different. Startups can create Tremendous value with employee equity. We see thousands of people participating in in it, and um, you know many of them couldn't have done it before. You know, and this is really quite life changing transaction for for a lot of people. Um, yeah, so we we've been on this journey ourselves at Cake. We tried to have an advisor in India and an advisor in the U.S. in the early days when we we're expanding globally, and it was a that was a horrendous situation you know the the indian advisor said fine you know like i'm happy to come on and earn some equity but uh i want to be i want it to be all properly done you know based on indian law and we were like whoa 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 you know we're just a small company we can't handle all that um and as it turned out, so did our US advisor. And the only way we could find traditionally to solve that was to have like a full ESOP in each country, which was going to cost us tens of thousands of dollars and take tons of time and have all this ongoing management costs. So, you know, with the way teams are so global now in startup land, we just we thought, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only founder out there that's that's grappled with this, Um So Alex, um, as our global equity lead here at CAKE, he's been central to solving this problem uh, for us and for our customers. Uh, He himself is a super interesting guy. He's got a a pretty wild career background. Uh, He entered our team um, with an innovative and proactive approach to helping companies streamline their global equity. Uh, He's responsible for our overall equity management strategy, including equity compensation plans, local compliance, and long-term incentive structures. And he's also an integral part of our partnership team at Cake. Um, so he's, you know, helping to bring uh, solutions partners on board, and they help Cake's customers with technical, legal, employment, and accounting valuation needs all around the world. Yeah, so it's great to have um, Kate, Alex on the pod today. We're definitely going to get to know him better. But you know, the the nuts and bolts of today's session is helping founders and their teams to handle. Uh, global employee equity. It is super complex, but it's very, very important. And we're going to spend the next half half an hour or so really digging into that. So, welcome, Alex.
1: Thanks, Jay. Great to be here. Love the podcast. Long time listener, first time attender.
0: Yeah. I think you might be my number one listener. <laughs> you always <laughs> give me feedback. Uh, you know, in the early days, I really appreciate that, mate. Um, and look, you are a passionate guy. I've noticed that a lot. You know, since you joined Cake, and you're you've been really striving during your career to make a difference in the world Um, tell us a bit about your career leading up to cake
1: yeah oh man it's been a a bit of a wild ride i've been through so many different types of careers so i started out in different boutique law firms sort of made my way up to um, mid-tiers and eventually i landed a spot at an in-house gig called apt associates so apt associates was this amazing company that did international development and foreign aid uh, essentially when the Australian government privatised AusAid into, or vacuumed it up into DFAT, they sort of privatised the international development industry. Um And Apt is one of the sort of developing uh, and main contractors that did work in developing countries. So that was pretty amazing. I got to see uh, some pretty fantastic programs in Southeast Asia, uh, in Africa, in South America, where we were sort of pivotal in the reformation and reconstruction of like economic well-being uh, for local people uh, through government, public, private partnerships. Um, And in particular, there's this one program in Southeast Asia called Investing in Women, where we essentially set up a microfinance fund um, and in partnership with a bunch of different organisations and VCs, uh, the Australian government, MFAT, um, we essentially gave you know microfinance loans to small women-led businesses in in Southeast Asia, um, and that sort of kicked off this thirst and hunger for uh, you know the VC world and helping people out in small communities who were essentially called the non-banked, as Muhammad Yunus calls it. In his book the world of three zeros mm. um where we'd give them you know access to loans where they couldn't get access to tr- traditional banks I and it. yeah it was just amazing to see the the impact
0: i love that one of my favorite um organizations is kiva which is you know somewhat similar micro loans all around the world um it's wonderful to to see um and then um you went on to accenture for a little bit after that
1: yeah, yeah. So Accenture sort of poached me from that job. Um, I was finishing up uni because I was actually working through uni full time and studying full time. So that was a bit uh, of a crazy ordeal as well. Um, but then when I finished uni, Accenture sort of took me into their sort of legal and contract management team where I was managing one of the largest contracts in South, um, so sorry, sorry, the Southern hemisphere actually. Um, so it was all of the federal government contracts for the ATO and Bureau of Meteorology, Department of Finance. And then I was also managing specific state contracts as well. So Queensland Rail, um, City of Wannaroo over in WA. Um, so yeah, pretty amazing experience. Yeah, but, great
0: skill set um, for then going to have to build like a global equity sort of like hub that Powers a, a platform, uh, you know, being able to handle that complexity and so many different contracts and international as well. Um, you know, really feel like it was the perfect training for this huge equity project we've been tackling.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was very much stars aligned when Charlie reached out to me on LinkedIn. You know, all this training that I'd been doing, you know, setting up companies all around the world through apt associates and doing corporate governance funds and stuff like that. Um, and then the sort of really hard technical learning at Accenture and doing, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks and getting burnt out and going through that usual corporate process. <laughs> it kind of just, lo- it was all leading to the precipice of joining CAKE. So, you know, shout yeah. out to Charlie um, and, and yourself for finding me. And then, yeah, an amazing team for keeping me here and, you know, sort of nurturing and developing myself. Um, yeah, it's been an amazing story for the last year and a half and keen to see where it goes next.
0: Mate, you've got huge potential and ambition, and I think we're very good at finding great people and getting them onto the cake team. Uh, and for those of you that didn't notice that LinkedIn, you know, so many of our roles have been just high through LinkedIn, even organic LinkedIn. So, you know, I think that's a little takeaway for anybody out there. Um, and for those of you that are looking for Apt Associates, it's A-B-T, uh, Associates, so it's worth checking out. Um, You know, and so, you know, you're on a mission and and you wanted to make your career really worth something. And, um, you know, how do you see CAKE helping to, you know, improve economic outcomes? What sort of value creation do you see, you know, from your CAKE mission so far? And yeah, how's that been working?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of tugging on sort of the heartstrings that I sort of felt at App Associates where we were really helping grassroots communities and foundations improve their livelihoods through, you know, access to health, access to, um, you know, institutional investing, access to education, um, everything like that. So I sort of see cake on the same sort of scale and and sort of, you know, wavelength. So it's all about the redistribution of wealth on an international scale. So the the fact that startups and talent are, you know, super global now, um, more than ever, really, because of COVID, um, hiring with different, you know, people with you know, vast amounts of experience. They're not just in Australia. They're going to be, you know, someone in Africa who's had a super different life story and upbringing, and they've seen different problems to you and I. Who, you know, speaking a bit frankly, we, we lived in a white picket fence in Australia. We might have had had our hardships, but you know, those people, you know, had to deal with starvation and and you know, you had to walk miles to get any sort of education or anything like that. Probably didn't have internet. So, cake is really uh, I guess, that that catalyst for change by you know allowing people to issue equity to those people who you know didn't traditionally have access to um, private markets or any sort of productive assets that could help them. So you know uh, if cake ends up hiring someone in the Philippines, which we have now, um and we end up having a super awesome exit, which I honestly believe we will one day. It's it's going to be life-changing for those people.
0: Yeah, um, no, I love it. I absolutely love that part of cake. You know, first of all, we've kind of democratized access to equity, you know, in Australia, and and now that we're on that mission Globally, and I know that word's a little bit overused, but you know we're bringing the cost down massively. We're bringing the complexity down massively. We're making it available to you know millions of people that that you know would have otherwise never had the ability to participate. Now we still need startups to have exits, and so we need to create real value out of this this equity over time, and that's a big part of our, our mission as well. But look, it's absolutely wonderful to see um, some of the places where this this equity is going. So now, awesome! Thanks for sharing, Alex. We love having your your passion and um and drive. And, and experience on the team. So let's dig into the you know the problem that we're solving here. So just to set the scene, you know, startup in the US could have employees in five or ten countries. A startup in Australia, a startup in you know Europe, anywhere. You know, they're going to have teams now all over the world. We've seen the rise of platforms, you know, that we partner with like like Deal and Oyster and Remote to handle all these sort of employment elements. But how do you handle the equity? You know, it's super super complex. Every country has their own laws. Like it's just, it's super difficult for founders to tackle. Um, where do we start? Let's, let's start from the start. So I think the first countries that we looked at were the big hubs, right? Was it Singapore, UK, US?
1: Yeah, Singapore, UK, US, India. Um, there was another one, wasn't there?
0: I think we looked at Nigeria. Yeah, Nigeria.
1: Yeah, Nigeria. So we started out with this very country specific approach. Um, and we thought, you know, you know, stand up the ESOPs there, make sure we understand the securities law and tax law there. But, you know, very quickly, we realized people have the same issue as us. Like, yeah. you know, we have advisors overseas, we have employees overseas, and we want to give them equity. Yeah. Um, solving, and, solving you for know, I still remember.
0: Like solving for the country where the company is based is one thing. But then in every country we looked at, we were like, hey, startups have got international teams, uh, you know. So, Yeah very complicated.
1: Yeah. I I I distinctly remember the conversation I had with Charlie within the first couple of months of me starting. I was like, oh, well, why can't we just give someone a startup concession ESOP over in Nigeria or Nepal or something like that? And he's like, Mm -hmm. well, it's a bit tricky. You know, securities law aspects apply to the jurisdiction that the recipient of the equity grant is in. And then Mm -hmm. the tax law applies there but the corporate law applies to where the plan is originated. And then so you have this conflict of laws sort of question where it's like, well, how do we set it up? So we spent months sort of debating it and sort of, you know, spitballing how what the approach would look like. You know, do we just have an addendum to a plan? Do we have a separate plan for each country? And we quickly realized, like, that's the traditional approach you know cake is the new school we want to do it the new way so we got a bit innovative and we sort of approached lawyers in all these different countries and we're like you know how do you see this work um you know what's the most common form of equity in your country and can we do that cross border and so i still okay. remember this this that's presentation the that we because gave
0: that's the key like if you like if you go to a founder and you say here's all the law in every country you know like they're just going to they're never going to be able to proceed you have to sort of have an opinion on the right way to do it otherwise this is just impossible to achieve a proper esop and as we know at cake doing the legal and technical part is important but you have to build real value from your equity for it to be worthwhile and if you just bog down doing all the legal contracts you're never going to have time to actually have a strong relationship with your your team build the right culture you know, and, and get those value creation um, benefits from even having the scheme. So, um, yeah. how many how many countries have we got now, uh, Alex? Just out of interest, or how many countries have you tackled? This isn't about cake. This is not a cake ad, so I do apologize <laughs> a bit more cakey because I've got Alex here. But this is really meant to be educational. You know, Alex is a super interesting dude. He's tackling a super interesting product, and we're gonna, you know, we're really here to educate you. So, um, how many countries have you looked at? like to see how their employee equity runs
1: yeah so personally i've looked at about 44 different countries now um (laughs) ouch yeah it's pretty nuts it's it's super niche i I don't think i've really met or heard of anyone knowing or understanding how equity securities law tax law corporate law employment law works in (sighs) that many different countries
0: Uh, previously you'd have to go to like the big four and you know they charge you a hundred grand for that um so uh, it's a awesome uh awesome bit of work that that you've got going on um and like through the time that you've been doing all this research let's let's find some i guess fun and interesting tidbits and anecdotes for people about all the crazy stuff that's going on out there because you can imagine how different countries handle their equity like it's pretty wild um yeah so what Let's start with the best countries. Like what where are the and while we're doing this, let's talk about what's important. So I guess just quickly to take one step back. So as you said, so in the country that your head company is in, it has laws about what it can and can't do. Right. So you have to first of all be aware of that and make sure that you've got the right plan in place that allows you to issue, you know, employee equity to whatever country it is. And then you've got the complexity on the side wherever the team member is and what the tax and you know, securities law. So like if you're issuing shares or options, that's a security. So what do you need to do to make sure that you're not causing problems for both the company and your team member in that country? So like it's it's complex. What's the best countries where this is, I guess, as easy for the company and easy for the, the team member as possible?
1: Yeah. So I think some of the best countries you see out there with, you know, equity frameworks or option frameworks are Estonia uh, and Latvia. Oh, they're nice. quite progressive yeah yeah there's there's a massive startup hub there um there's some of the you know i think per capita they have the most amount of um unicorns and decacorns in the world actually um, yeah. so that's pretty random but in terms of the equity i think
0: they have a blockchain based id system and all sorts of super progressive stuff
1: yeah oh Australia. it's amazing e- it's it's they call it the e-government it's everything's digitized
0: yeah um i was gonna get a so yeah, um, passport for there at one point but never got around to it i should do that one day just in case all hell breaks loose i can move to estonia <laughs> if that's yeah, really yeah. i don't know
1: <laughs> cake on tour i yeah. mean it's good it's a good idea if you're options and you're an option holder and your options vest and you want to exercise them or sell them because their tax rates are so low for options um i think they're about 15 15 percent which is you know a stark contrast to you know australia where it's about you know 25 30 percent depending uh-huh. on your cgt aspects and stuff can like go, that
0: can you go snowboarding in estonia because I'll, maybe i can go there after my exit <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure you can there's there's some nice hills there nice. the countryside slightly. <laughs> um but yeah in terms of the different aspects that sort of you know the levers that you pull in terms of what's a good policy stance what's a bad policy stance
0: yeah, um, what does Estonia and Latvia do well? So they've got the good tax rate, what else?
1: Yeah, they've got d- disclosure requirements, they're pretty lax for um, private companies, you don't I'm have to, to, what's to a, you know. What's that, a
0: disclosure requirement?
1: So essentially, you know, when you're giving options or a type of security to an investor or an employee or something like that, usually, uh, like public companies, you'll have to attract uh, disclosure requirements around what are your financial standings, what are your you know solvency standings and stuff like that. Are you solvent? Do you, um, and the employee or investor can really understand the your business a bit better by looking through your P and L and that balance sheet and stuff like that. Um, so those are the sorts of points around disclosure. And then securities law comes in is like how many offers can you give in that year without it being considered uh, a breach of the securities laws? And you have to provide prospectus, for example, if you go over fifty.
0: Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of complexity there. Complex disclosure document that's normally very expensive to put together, requires lawyers and accounts, yeah. a whole bunch of exactly. rigmarole and startups can't be doing that kind of crap, you know, no yeah. yeah. and You're not afford gonna... it. One, you don't, can't afford it. Two, it's too slow. And three, nobody wants to be dealing with that kind of rubbish yeah. admin
1: <laughs> yeah. It, and if you're a startup in series A, series B, you're not going to spend 100 grand just to issue one equity offer to someone in Estonia or Latvia. Like, it's just, it's no. nonsensical. So. so,
0: those countries are really sweet, uh, really easy. What about the worst countries? Like, where is the disclosure bad, the tax rules bad, and just like no one knows what the hell is going on? And like, whatever yeah. kind of, like um, please don't, please don't like give us any hate mail from these countries. <laughs> like, we're, we're here to help, but we're just sharing our, our lessons.
1: I mean, if anything, it's a nice little call-out for the policymakers to start thinking about how to nurture an ecosystem in their country. So mm-hmm. Belgium and Germany are sort of the two countries that come top of mind. Um, I'll talk to Germany a bit more because I know it a bit better. But essentially, you know, for traditional options, they don't really distinguish between private and public companies in terms of the the code that they have over there. Like the requirements are super heavy. Um, you have to register the scheme. You have to do everything by a postal. Um, so oh, like, what? you know, physical signing and oh, sending of the documents, apostling documents. Like with a pen? Yeah, with a pen, actually. Well, and paper. Um, That
0: means you need a printer. We don't even have a printer.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that I mean, the, the tax rates are super high as well and you get taxed at vesting, you get taxed at grants. Uh, you can get taxed a grant, you get taxed at exercise and you get taxed at sale again. So there's all these different taxing points.
0: Um, it's just really non... How does Germany compete I don't know. with talent with this kind of scheme and how have they not sorted this out? Aren't they like the centre of the whole yeah. European administration? <laughs> Surely they can sort <laughs> yeah. this out. It's like, look at all the countries around the world and like just choose the best ones and then go fix it. Well,
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the European Union and there's this um, sort of community-led, uh, I think, advocacy group called Not Optional, where they're essentially a European group of founders who founded it. And they've got all these people essentially signing up to it and being like, hey, Europe needs to change their policy stance on startups. And how do we incentivize startups to bring in talent and also you know, let them stay here if they want to exit? Because usually what happens is all these European Startups essentially flip up to the U.S. where it's a lot easier to get investors, a lot easier to exit, a lot easier for tax freights and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Germany essentially has yeah. been doing phantom stock options for so long.
0: Uh, yeah. So does that how people get around it in Germany? People just do phantoms. Do you want to just explain quickly what a phantom sort of stock op- or stock plan would be?
1: Yeah. So phantom stock option plan is essentially how I describe it is an NFT of your underlying security of the company. Oh, so
0: come on. Now you're complicating it. We just
1: okay. It- so it's just, <laughs> yeah. So it's essentially mirroring the value of your company. So you have your share price here and then you can give someone a quasi security or a type of security bid that, that mimics the value of your company but they're not actually getting any equity at the end of the day. So it's kind of like a cash bonus when they exit.
0: So instead of owning an option or an equity, because that's really complicated, they have like a contract, which might be part of their employment contract that says under certain circumstances in the future, like it might be an exit or it might be is it exit-based or could it be profit-based? Usually
1: exit-based, yeah. Usually
0: exit-based. So on exit, you get your payment and the payment would probably mirror what it would be if you had equity, but you can't have equity because the rules are too complicated. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Now let's just tease out the NFT thing just quickly because this could be an area where tokenization and, and blockchain actually help the cap table space. So do you want to just like chat a little bit about that, not to get too far off topic, but this is kind of an area where it could work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm no expert, but um, essentially, you know, this creation of all these decentralized, um, you know, organizations and and asset tools with blockchain and NFTs, um, it could be super interesting to sort of veer off in the traditional equity space, but it create these uh, digital securities where essentially you're still having the value of the company tied to that security. And as the you know company performs and or even goes under um, in there's sort of not so great um, situations, but as, as the company appreciates or depreciates, the value of those digital assets also increase. So, you know. To completely avoid the, the, not avoid, but sort of circumvent the traditional securities laws and equity um, frameworks, you could essentially just give them a token of your company. Um, and it could be a really interesting thing for the cap tables as well, because it's a lot cleaner um, and, and it wouldn't be registered on the cap table as well. So you wouldn't you know accidentally go over the 50 stakeholder threshold in Australia. Yeah. So that could be a really interesting sort of point of view for future startups
0: as well i think there's some wins in there somewhere i'm just looking at this it's not optional.eu and there's a country Mm -hmm. ranking page which is really quite interesting it ranks um countries based on uh plan scope strike price minority shareholder and bureaucracy employee tax timing employee tax rate and employee employer taxation so you know really interesting to see um you know that that site and I'll definitely be spending a little bit more time on that. I had seen it before, but I need to go back and spend a little bit more time on it. Um, Thanks for sharing that, Alex. Good job, man. Um, Cool. And then, like, what's something wild that you've seen or, like, a couple of wild stories? You've been looking all around the world. Like, is there just, like, a crazy country that just has, like, almost no idea or is doing some real funky stuff? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's definitely countries who are behind the times and, you know, whether that's a government thing or it's just the fact that startups aren't you know being started there. So, Nigeria, their sort of securities laws and tax laws around stock options and equity grants, uh, they're just, you know, they're, they're not quite there yet. Um, they don't really have a framework for startups. They don't have a framework for whether you value the company at the time of grant or exercise and how you sort of do that valuation process and methodology formally Mm -hmm. so you know i I call them sort of a cowboy country um same with the bahamas um they don't even tax anyone there so you know (laughs) if you're in the bahamas and you're getting stock options it's nice good for you and you're getting an exit um but one of the most interesting ones that i've sort of come across is brazil so in brazil there's this two sort of tiered approach so you're either getting a stock option grant as an employee or an eor provider or a contractor but it can be treated as remuneration or a benefit in kind so then you're taxed at exercise and sale and then because you're taxed at exercise as a you know income benefit the company has to do withholding tax and stuff like that so you don't want to go down that path you want to try to structure your documents and the process and uh the communication side of things to skew towards the non employment aspect which is the second tier so in Brazil there's also commercial arrangements so if you get a equity grant, a stock option or a share, and it's structured in a way that is perceived by the local tax man authority um, that it's not a remuneration but a, a commercial arrangement, then you're only taxed at sale. So there's there's it's like a two pronged mm-hmm. approach and it's it's very dependent on, you know, how you talk about it.
0: From what I've heard with South America, almost everybody runs these things out of the Cayman Islands for this reason because it's just so much complexity and variability throughout South America. So I think this is a lesson for, for policymakers out there. And, you know, we want it to be, you know, fair for the company, fair for the employee. We want the, the tax to be matched with the cash flow, you know, like it's an illiquid asset. You, you're not really getting any value out of it in reality until you get cash for it. And so all we're really asking mm. is that we match the, the cash tax cash flow obligation of the team member to the cash flow of the asset. And that's so simple to do. And it's so fair. And I really can't understand why everybody just doesn't do this immediately. It's just like the most logical thing in the world. And for policymakers out there, it helps your country be more competitive, has more startups, and have more people working for startups in your country. And, you know, we know these are highly skilled jobs and they're more highly paid quite often as well. And then you get this, you know, stock option potential wealth transfer from, you know, major countries into, you know, perhaps countries with, you know, less superior economies or however we want to put it I don't want to put anybody down we're all we are all where we are but you know like wealth transfer into a country is normally a good thing whichever way you put it so um yeah really awesome to talk through that with you Alex I could actually talk about that quite a bit more but we do need to sort of like uh truck along a little bit and uh, I might have to have you back on in a couple more months um we can we can do de- yeah. it again but um
1: I mean just just before we do move on I wanted to add to sort of that point with with one last thing it's it's also like the circular economy effect so like I saw at Apt Associates, we were investing in these women who started these businesses. But when once they started growing and hired more women and you know bought more land or bought more tractors and stuff like that, it created a circular economy in the fact that they were able to reinvest in their local community, you know, capacity build and invest in other startups in their local country. So I think that's the another beauty of you know stock options
0: worldwide. Oh, huge, huge. Having exits and having people create wealth and they quite often then become angel investors and even if they don't become angel investors other people in tech companies see that liquidity event and then you know the whole ecosystem benefits um a huge huge um, aspect to stock options globally so thanks for calling that out that's cool um we also have one use case recently where we had a company issuing options into Nepal is it worthwhile calling that one out i think it was just a just a Real fun project for for me to work on, and I'm sure yeah, you know, I'm sure you enjoyed that one.
1: Yeah, this company called Geoidea, they're they're super interesting. Shout out to them. They're essentially yeah. you know using drone technology um, in Nepal and various mines around the world, where they're you know geolocating and doing spatial imaging of mines um, using drone technology. And you know they had engineers and site people in in Nepal, and they came to us very early on in the in the journey of Global Options and this product. And they were like, oh, I really want to issue these options to these people in Nepal. Can you help me out? And it would have costed them like 20, 30 grand to get lawyers in both countries talking together.
0: He told me he was thinking about it for over a year. And then it wasn't until we sort of showed him that there was actually a reasonable way to do it. And he's like, oh, thank goodness. Here we go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so we managed to do that within what, like two, three months, Um, found lawyers, which is not easy in Nepal, mm. who mm. actually understand the startup equity space. And then, yeah, the only funny, tricky thing that you had to do was say that, you know, on exercise, um, you can't transfer money out of Nepal because their currency is quite weak. So they don't want to lose a lot of currency. So you had to either do a cashless exercise or use a bank account in a separate country to do that. So
0: Nice. Love it. Love it. All right. So let's just keep things ticking along. Um, Innovation, you know, we're, we want to innovate. We don't just want to like do things 5% better, you know, like equities kind of being with accountants and lawyers for years, there's rules all around the world. They've been there for years. They're improving slowly. Wouldn't call that innovation, (laughs) but how are you innovating in your role? You know what what's kind of radical and and awesome about this product that, that you're building, and and um, yeah, I'd just like to dig into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess you know the innovative part of my role is really trying to streamline equity for people globally, making it easy because not every country has frameworks as we've talked about today. You know, some countries actually have tax advantageous frameworks, but trying to find minimum viable product essentially you you know treating it like a startup really yeah um global options
0: that's what i'm sort of getting at what's the nuts and bolts of it is it that like you know you used to have to go and have five meetings and read contracts and and now you don't like is it just kind of like the the digitization and standardization is it also the yes is is, is, you think that's the core of it because I was thinking of another example, um, you know, when we were preparing for this about, you know, back in the day with music, everybody had, whether it be a record or a tape, and then somebody created the MP3 and we were we were jamming on like, when they created the MP3, did they realize what would happen to music? You know, it's like, sometimes I don't think you can realize what can happen once you do digitize something and, and take it from, you know, very manual. Um, are you there, Alex? I think I've lost you. Look frozen. I'm just going to pause for a sec. So, what's the future? Um, How can every country make the flow of and treatment of equity easier so startups and their teams can build real value uh, in their communities from their equity?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, Look, you know, what I'd love to see be different to what others might love to see, but an international standard for employee equity frameworks, you know, having super clear rules around taxable events. Um, you know more support for startups as well, uh, vis-a-vis tax breaks and incentives, um, which will definitely require some like innovation focused policy stances from people and policy makers all around the world. but you know how do you set the strike price? What are the plan scopes? you know what are the treatment of minority shareholders who you know option holders will eventually be? Um, all the sort of you know rankings that not optional does. Uh, that's sort of like the, the framework that you assess country's equity frameworks but it'd be great to see some more collaboration with different governments all around the world to have just a simple process and outline that startups can just you know pick up and use kind of like the ato has done with the startup tax concession i think that's a, a great framework and um the work of peter dunn uh, on that with the local government as a, as a advisor he's done an amazing job and oh, just okay. really you know incentivizing startups to have tax beneficial treatments for their options
0: The Australian scheme is pretty good. I like a lot of the aspects of it. Long exercise periods and the, the tax payments super aligned with the, with the cash flow, you know, that's going to come from, from the exit. Um, looks like a good scheme, reasonably open and inclusive. A few funny little limitations that I think are improving, but, but overall pretty solid scheme. What else could we see that's going to, going to help drive this, this sort of space forward?
1: I guess labor issues as well. So, you know, making sure that companies and uh, the the countries themselves are treating, you know, labor separately and employment separately to equity. Um, I think that's only fair. It it is kind of a bonus in some way or an added perk. People shouldn't be treating it as remuneration, in my opinion. Until Uh, they get value from it,
0: when they they can sell it, when they actually get some cash, like... Getting a bit yeah. of equity in a company, I mean, could be worth 50 grand one day, 10 grand the next and 200 grand the next and 20 grand the next. And, you know, like yeah. how the hell is the tax regime supposed to keep up with that? So let's just follow the cash flow.
1: <laughs> exactly right. I mean, that's that's what it all boils down to, the the cash flow and following that sort of structure. Um, nice. and, and speaking of cash flow as well, like, you know, a great sort of thing that would boost this space for startup options and global equity would be secondaries. Um, you know, we see in the market that's a really hot topic today and, you know, secondaries are, you know, getting swept up by large, you know, private equity firms and global VCs like Tiger um, and KKR and stuff like that. Um, So, you know, having a healthy secondary marketplace can also really boost um not just obviously the option holders uh, exits and stuff like that, but it can also just boost the e- ecosystem for startups and scale ups globally. Um, yeah. If people can join a job and not have to go into a traditional big four straight out of uni and join a startup instead mm. and know that there's liquidity in those assets that they get for joining, people, I mean, I would have definitely, you know, I, I might have still gone to Accenture, but I probably would have joined a startup a lot earlier.
0: Yeah, I think it creates more opportunity and brings better people in. And um, companies are staying private longer, as we know. So I think secondaries are a critical part of the, the successful evolution of Employee options and and equity schemes. Um, I know you're very passionate about that. So watch this space, eh, Alex? It'll be something we'll be working on together in in a little while. Well, maybe next time I have you on might be to talk about that, but we'll see. We'll see. Um and look, we always finish with a couple of um, you know, questions for all our guests. Um, sometimes it's one or the other. Today you've got both. So what is um, you know, the biggest fuck up. Uh, you've seen, I guess, working in in and around these global equity plans last couple of
1: years? Yeah, I mean, perfect probably use case for, uh, I mean, whether it's mismanagement through the finance team and structuring the documents correctly or the timing of it all. But Stripe recently had to raise, I think, $6 billion um, just to cover their tax uh, withholding requirements and also the exercise prices for all the employees.
0: Do we so have to say- they had a bunch of do we have to say allegedly or is that like actual news
1: yeah no no no, that's that's actual news that's 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 big news that's out there public information yeah So they had a bunch of like rsus and options and stuff like that that were coming up to their vesting dates i think the 10 year time frame in the us for isos was the was a big key one and then rsus as well when they vest you have to pay tax on that and the exercise price otherwise they lapse um so they had a big sort of you know, tax bill and employees wouldn't have got their, you know, buyouts essentially if they hadn't have covered that.
0: But so arguably, that was probably one of the biggest. But arguably the best private company on the planet. They've had a few timing issues lately. It would seem from the outside, you know, I'm not privy to the board yeah. decisions, of course, and I'm sure they're overall doing a wonderful job, but a um, bit of a bummer for them and that cost and having to take that action and hopefully the the outcome for the employees was good i don't know the ins and outs i mean was there an issue for the employees was there like a price issue um, sort of how did that work on their side of things
1: yeah so i think my understanding of it is they had to obviously mark to market when they raised the six billion dollars so obviously the down round does hurt valuation of the company and the valuation of the employee shares but at the end of the day those employees had been around for a long time or most oh, of them yeah. had been yeah. so they still got uh, a, a fairly sizable premium on those um, securities. So I think all in all, it's a great outcome for both the employees and the company. But yeah, it's definitely showing how tricky this space can be and how mm-hmm. complex it can be. So get yeah. get the right advice. Um, you don't want and, to be
0: liquidating. Yeah. You don't want to be liquidating on twenty twenty three prices if you don't have to be. So um, yeah, that that might have been a real tricky one. And finally, you know, at Cake, we're very passionate about creative, healthy lifestyle and how know, your health is a like as a core um factor in having a great life. Um how how's that been for you, mate? I, I ask people this question all the time. You're on the inside. How has our yeah. CL enabled and empowered you and what what do you think of it? No, it's a
1: equally as great a question. Um so I guess to go back to the sort of my work life history. Um You know, people always talked about, and my mentors always talked about having a really good work life balance. And for me, that it was a bit, yeah, it didn't really make sense for a lot of the time because I was working really late hours at all these big companies and, you know, really putting in the grind because I truly thought that they were meritocracy. So I sort of hustled and wanted to work my way up. But I quickly realized that, you know, work life balance can't exist um if you are doing those sort of crazy hours and you have to really take care of your health so I started burning out and you know within six to eight months of being at Accenture and probably no fault of theirs it was probably just my own sort of really wanting to to you know uh improve and and obviously climb up the ladder but what I quickly realized was instead of work life balance it's more about work-life harmony um and that's the kind of key phrase that I keep you know plugging around to everyone don't don't focus on balance focus on harmony so that's the beauty of cake and being in the cake team because you know we openly say to our employees like you know go have a surf at lunchtime or you know go for a walk around the park if you need to um, work remotely and we are really sort of you know push people to be uh, their best selves and um, Kim and your own vision for that it, it it boosts productivity, it boosts, you know, employee happiness. Um if we had an NPS score as employees, I think ours would be pretty pretty awesome and pretty high, to be honest. So yeah, work life harmony is what I'll what I'll close out with.
0: Nice one. No, it is high. We use the um is it culture amp? We use the culture amp system. Um very happy with how the team's running. I, I'm glad you I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um we uh you know, like if you're if you're working on something that you care about, um it's not so much work and i think it's okay to work hard you know like it's actually part of life having discipline finding something you care about working hard i think it's part of having a great life i don't think it should be admonished or it's if you're working on things you don't care about for people that you don't like um yeah. if you know and where you feel like your morals or ethics are being eroded that's where people talk about work-life balance because their work is so shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah you it should, should actually it should work, be you know and of course be your you work for family or your family you need- yeah, you need time for work, you need time for family, you know, you need time for all those things, definitely. I'm not saying work all the time, but but it certainly helps um, when you've got something awesome to work on, which we think we do at CAKE. And I'm, I'm glad you agree. So long may it continue. And we love your ambition at CAKE as well. So we'll we'll, we'll keep finding you fun stuff to work on um, as we change, you know, change equity for, for startups everywhere. So look, Alex, thank you. Uh, you're a good man. It's great to have you on the team. I think we've hopefully educated people. It wasn't too much of a cake sales pitch. I think in the end, we walked the tight <laughs> tightrope pretty well. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we shared some stories and kept it light enough as well, which is part of our goal with Startup Equity Matters. So thanks everyone uh, for listening in. For me, this was my favorite one um, so far. I just love global teams, love global equity. I love jamming with Alex on on this stuff that we, I really, really care about. So thank you, Alex. Great job. And Thanks, Jess. Sayonara. Ciao.